0: father we give you this morning as we meet and we talk and we share we pray that you would be honored by what we say this is all about you it's all about your son jesus christ may we look to him as our example of what it means to be a godly man and we pray this in christ's name amen one other uh, thing you can add to your prayer list uh just forgot to pray for him but uh, um, we have one of our brothers who's uh, in the hospital who uh We prayed for last week, um, Bobby Jones, and he had uh, bypass surgery on Friday. We prayed for him last Wednesday. He had surgery on Friday, and by Sunday he was not doing well at all. Uh, I haven't got the latest prognosis, but just keep lifting him up. I don't know all the complications, but but surgery didn't go well. So keep lifting him up that God would restore him to complete health. Well, guys, we're going to continue our look at what it means to be a man, And uh, before I show you that, um, I want to show you a little video. It really has nothing to do um, with what we're talking about, other than the fact that it does have to do with men and women. Uh, Somebody sent this to me. Actually, um, I'll rat on him, but it was Doug Cecil. You you can blame him. Doug Cecil sent this to me, and... and, uh, he heard me laughing and then we sent it to somebody else and we could hear them laughing in their office and so I just thought I'd share it with you but it's you may have seen this commercial before but it kind of sets us up a little bit let's let's watch this Midwest Mortgage, proud sponsor of the NFL. I've been working really hard to try to figure out what's the segue um, from that end of the lesson. And, and the best I can come up with is that, you know, there's a big difference between men and women. Um, and today we're going to be talking about how Jesus Christ, the God-man viewed women and how he interacted with women. And let's face it, guys, every one of us interact with women of all kinds, our wives if we're married, our girlfriends if we have one, um, the girls we wish were our girlfriends if we need one, um, our sisters, our daughters, our mothers, our co-workers, our neighbors, the women in this church. I mean, we are always around women. And so how do we interact with them? Uh, How do we live out godly manhood in relationship to women? And, you know, it's easy for me to sit and talk about, you know, well, as men we degrade women and we look at pornography and we, you know, we look at women with wrong attitudes, and, and that's true. Have you ever thought what women think about men? Um, what do they think when they see us? Now, I know what a lot of them think when they see me, but that's a whole other story. But what do they think about, you know, what do, what do women fantasize about? Um, you know the, the statistics show that women are increasingly um, partakers of pornography. It's a growing industry. It used to be the guys' world. Uh, women were into fantasy novels and, and romance novels, but it's 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 changing. But somebody sent me an email recently, and it was uh, um, I, I I have to be real careful with this because the title of of this book is Porn for Women, and please don't tell your wives about this, but it's, it's a comic book. It's not comic, but a funny book about what women fantasize about. And some of these are hilarious. And, and I wanted to show these to you just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. If you can't read the line, it says, I don't have to have a reason to bring you flowers. This is pornography for women. This is what they think about. You know, it's, it's you bringing flowers without a reason. How about this one? Ooh, look, the NFL playoffs are today. I bet we'll have no trouble parking at the crafts fair. (laughs) Your wife would love to hear you say that. She fantasizes about that. How about this one? Don't want anyone falling in in the middle of the night. Here he is putting the lid back down. I know, let's take you shoe shopping. Those words have never come out of my mouth. Uh, They never will come out of my mouth. How about this one? Is that the baby? I'll get her you know when we had our kids when they were younger i perfected the fake sleep um i'd hear the baby and i would just i would just I'd snore i was just I'd be sound asleep but i heard it cuz i'm a light sleeper but i i knew she would get up eventually how about this one hold that thought a second i want to pull over and ask for directions <laughs> uh, yeah every woman fantasizes about that one i love this one i made some <laughs> can't even read this. I made some Neiman Ranch lamb tenderloins with garlic, black pepper, and Indonesian soy sauce for dinner. I hope that sounds okay. (laughs) Yeah. I made hamburger helpers more like it. I like to get these things before I have to be asked. Get to these things before I have to be asked. You know, just clean in the kitchen. Does your wife fantasize about you doing that? Just walking in one day and it's clean and you did it? Uh, She'd probably just pass out from the shock of it of all. But... You know, the truth is, our wives, the women in our lives, do have expectations, do have fantasies about what a real man would look like. Uh, they have them about us. Um, there are women uh, in our life stage, two, uh, life stage 2 group that are in their 20s, they're not married, and they're looking for a guy, and they have these ideas of what they think the right guy should be like. Some of them are wrong, some of them are skewed, some of them are accurate. But this morning I want to talk about how do we interact with women in our lives. And I ran across this quote, and this is where I want to jump off. I want you to think about it for a second. It says, who a man is in his relationships with women or in the company of women reveals a lot about who he truly is. Who a man is in his relationship with women or in the company of women reveals a whole lot about who he really is. Now think about that. What are you like when you're around women? What do you like around the women in your life, around your wife, around your daughters, around your girlfriend, around your friends, around your neighbors? What do you like? How do you act? How are you perceived? Um, sometimes, guys, we don't even know how we come across Uh, We're condescending and we don't even know it. Uh, We're rude and we don't even know it. We say things that are rude. You've probably been in a small group or been in in a a setting with another couple and the husband says things to his wife that even embarrasses you. He demeans her. He treats her negatively. He kind of ridicules her. or Just his body language towards his wife is really negative. How you act... When you're around women, reveals a whole lot about you. And then if you take it a step further and start thinking about what do you think about women when you're around them? What thoughts go through your mind when you see women, when you're around women, when you walk through the halls of this church on a Sunday? And let's face it, this church has a lot of beautiful women. This church has a lot of beautiful women who don't dress modestly. What are your thoughts about those women? And this is pretty critical this morning because, you know what, I can't change the way every woman dresses. I'd love to. Um, I'd love to have the opportunity to stand in the pulpit and say what I think. Um, It would probably be the last time I stood in the pulpit. But you know what, I can't be the moral policeman for every woman in this church. But I can impact the way I think and the thoughts that go through my mind and how I act and react to the women in my life. And we all struggle with it. We all struggle with treating them with dignity, treating them with respect, uh, treating them as God's children, as God's daughters, our sisters in Christ. So this is pretty important this morning. It's all about your words, your actions, your attitudes towards them. And before we we get into the the lesson, you know, we're talking about Jesus here. I don't know if you notice, but every time we sing, we sing about Jesus because this whole series is about him, about him being a real man, about him being the ultimate man, the consummate man, uh, the art type man, the kind of guy that we want to emulate and be like. So how did he react with women? You know, Jesus encountered a lot of women in his life. He only lived to be in his early 30s. And yet he, entered, he encountered women all the time. He had his mother. He had... Um, Mary Magdalene, he had the other Mary, he had uh, Peter's mother-in-law who he healed, he had Talitha, he had all kinds of women in his life who ministered with him, alongside him, who he ministered to, the, the woman with the issue of blood, uh, the Samaritan woman who we're going to look at this morning. He, he encountered all these women. How did he react to them? What was his attitude towards them? How did he relate to them? He, he wasn't married. Uh, he never had a wife, but he had relationships with women all of the time, women who he cared for, women who he ministered to, women who he touched and healed. And what's amazing about Jesus is, and we're going to look at it this morning, that he he always broke the standard. Uh, he, he reestablished the standard when it came to relationships and attitudes and actions, and for Jesus to do, some of the things he did with women was really countercultural, um, And you're going to see that the culture was not a friendly place to women during his day and age. But you know what? It's not a friendly place for women in our day and age. As much as women's lib and the women's movement has tried to elevate women and tried to make them our equals, and it, it really hasn't worked because they are still treated like property. They're still looked down upon. They're still kind of second-class citizens. And this is not a women's lib message. It's just the fact that we in our society are still having a struggle with how to react with women, how to interact with women. Uh, and it's something we as Christian men really have to, to set the example on and set the standard for. So I am going to look at the worldview that was there in the time of Jesus. How are women viewed? Because if you don't understand that, you will never understand and grasp the significance of all the relationships that he had with the women he encountered. You'll read those stories and you'll just blow right past them and you won't think that there's anything dramatic. And you won't understand the reaction of the people. You won't understand the reaction of the, the uh, spiritual leaders of his day, the religious leaders, the disciples. Because you don't understand what's going on in the story. So I want to establish... What the worldview was at that time, how did the world view women in Jesus' day, and how had it built up to that time? Well, Let's take a look at the Greeks. The Greeks had a heavy influence on the culture, and this is from Demosthenes. He was a Greek orator and a statesman. Listen to what he says. We, the Greeks, keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. Oh, and then there's the wife out there somewhere. We have prostitutes for pleasure, mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body, which is basically sex, and then we have a wife who just basically takes care of the house. He doesn't even mention the wife. This was a common attitude in Greek culture. So the the wife or the woman in Greek culture was what? She was just something to be used to meet my pleasures, to meet my needs. This is uh, from Aristotle, another Greek philosopher, says the male is by nature superior, the female inferior. And the one rules, the other is ruled. Now, see, guys, we would never say this in front of a woman because we'd get decked. But we think this in a lot of ways, that we are kind of superior. We are kind of better. And this this attitude is still out there. It's still out there. And it's why many women are very, very angry. How about the Romans? They were in control while Jesus walked the earth. Women didn't play a significant role in the church, in religion, uh, in their church, or in politics. They weren't allowed to vote, couldn't participate. Also, they had little to say about what went, went on in their own home. They didn't even get to rule their own home. At least in our society, the women, you, you want to rule the home, fine. Take care of the home and I'll take care of everything else. In their society, she had no say over anything. The children, uh, education, how the home was run. And it was interesting that they were viewed as outsiders. So if you're a guy and you get married and this woman, who's an outsider, marries into your family, it was a patriarchal society, she marries into my family, it's my name, it's my heritage, she was viewed as little more than a slave. Now she had a little bit more authority and rights than a slave, but she's an outsider. And they considered them intimate strangers. Man, talk about the opposite of oneness and unity. She comes into my house. She marries me, but she's really just an intimate stranger. She's a a step above a slave, and she's there to basically meet my needs. And as a result, the Roman world was rampant with divorce. Why would that be true? Well, she's this intimate stranger. I brought her in. She's really not part of my family. She's here to raise my kids and help out around the house and bring me pleasure. And once I'm tired of her, I'm done with her. I go get another intimate stranger, just like I'd go hire another slave or buy another slave. So it was an interesting attitude towards women. In that culture, women had few, if any, rights. They couldn't vote. They couldn't, like in the case of divorce, they couldn't divorce their husband. Um, But they could be divorced left and right. So they had no rights. And that was common in that culture. Well, How about the Jews? This this one fascinated me. Um, Their attitude towards women was pretty amazing. Josephus, who is a, uh, a historian, a Jewish historian, says this, the woman says the law is in all things inferior to men. That was a common attitude among Jews about women, their women, not Greek women and Roman women, but their women, their wives, their daughters, they're inferior. What the rabbis placed them in this formula, women, slaves, and minors. Um, all three were categorized together. They're basically equal in view, and it's not positive. They're little more than slaves or minors, children. What does that mean? They have no rights. They have no uh, privileges. They're property, and they can be done to what you want to do with them. And this is interesting when you think about Jesus' attitude toward children. You know, the the disciples were always wanting to send them away. Get the kids out of here. Why? Because they're kids. They have no rights. They have no privileges. They have no—they have nothing to, to bring to the table. So get them out of here. What was Jesus' attitude towards children? Bring them. Put them on my lap. Blessing them. Praying for them. Caring for them. So Jesus knew the attitude. And it was one in which women were not really thought highly of. They weren't allowed to study the Torah. Uh, the religious documents of their, their own faith. They couldn't study them. As a matter of fact... This is by Rabbi Eliezer, a first century rabbi. He says, rather should the words of the Torah be burned than entrusted to a woman. Whoever teaches his daughter the Torah is like one who teaches her lasciviousness. It's like teaching her to be a prostitute. Don't give her the Torah. If you do, burn it. It's better to burn it than let her read the Torah. So the women were not taught the Torah. Uh, It was wrong. You know, they didn't get to study it in school like the boys did. Interesting attitude. Jewish men disdained women as inferiors. They were inferiors. And you you start understanding this, and you start understanding why there was a reaction to what Jesus did when he encountered women. Listen to this one. This was a daily prayer for Jewish men. Praise be God that he has not created me a Gentile. Praise be God that he has not created me a woman. Praise be God that he has not created me an ignorant man. Think about that. You're married to this guy, and he's doing his daily prayers probably out loud. And this comes out of his mouth every day. Praise be to God that I'm not one of her. And she's little more than a Gentile, a pagan, a dog, and she's ignorant. Thank God I'm not like that. Interesting attitude towards women. Even conversation with women was banned. It was, it was wrong. Don't talk to women, uh, even your own wife to a certain degree, but especially another man's wife. This is from Rabbi Jose Ben-Johanan. He says, let your house be open wide, let the needy be members of your household, and talk much, not much with women. Don't talk with women. They said this of a man's own wife, how much more of his neighbor's wife. Hence the sages have said, he that talks much with women brings evil upon himself, neglects the study of the Torah, and at last will inherit Gehenna, hell. You're wasting your time. Don't talk to women because it keeps you from studying the Torah. Go study the Torah because if you talk to women, you're going to end up in hell, is basically what it's saying. Um, Again, pretty powerful thoughts about women. Women were considered unclean. Uh, One of the reasons for that was their menstrual cycle. Um, Man, that's just bad stuff. Stay away from women. They're unclean. Listen to this. A woman, and this is from the Talmud, a woman is a pitcher full of filth with its mouth full of blood, yet all run after her. What a wonderful thought. Hi, honey. You're a pitcher full of filth. Your mouth is full of blood and everyone runs after you. Hey, girls, my dear daughters, This is the attitude that men had towards women. It's the way they were taught. It's the way they were raised. And you can understand that in that culture, here comes Jesus. And things are going to get flipped on their ear, as he typically did. They were also defined by their biological function. Here's what Rabbi Hia says. It is enough for us men that women rear up our children and deliver us from sin. What does he mean by that? They deliver us from sin by letting us have a release from our sexual passions. That's all she's good for. She keeps me from going to a prostitute. Man, I'm glad i got a wife. She may be ignorant and nothing more than a Gentile and a slave, but at least she keeps me from sinning. Again, amazing attitudes that we don't think about. How does a real man view women? And to figure that out, we've got to look to Jesus. Because he's the only man who's a real man. Um, And we can be like him, but he's the only guy that pulls it off 100% of the time and perfectly. So how did Jesus do it? You know, when Jesus arrives on the scene, things begin to change. Uh, He's a a radical, revolutionary influence on his culture. Galatians 4, 4 and 5, uh, Ted has quoted this in virtually every sermon so far in the series. But when the right time came... God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. At just the right time, in the fullness of time, here comes Jesus. Uh, Perfectly timed by God in his divine order of things, his divine scheme of things, here comes Jesus. And immediately everything begins to change. He turns everything on its ear. The religious leaders are shocked by him. They hate him. They're out to kill him. The people don't know what to do with him. They love him. They sometimes hate him. They're not really sure who this guy is. And here's what he does. In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, Gentile and Jew, Slave and free, male and female, among us you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. You see the significance of this statement when you think about the culture of his day? Jews hated Gentiles. They looked down on Gentiles. They were dogs. They were worthless. They were not the right kind of people. We don't associate with them. They're unclean. Slaves were nothing more than property. They were thought of as less than human. And they were treated as such. But then also, what about the woman? We just saw what they thought about women. And here comes Jesus and he says, no, I'm breaking down those barriers. We're all one in Christ. We're all part of the family. And so Jesus, we're only going to look at one story in his life this morning. If you did your homework, you looked at a number of them. But we're going to look at the story of the Samaritan woman. If you have your Bibles, look at uh, over in John chapter five, 4. John 4. And I just want to spend a few minutes looking at this this story. Most of you guys know this story, the story of the Samaritan woman, and we're not going to take it apart completely. But I want to bring three things out of it that I think are pretty important. In this story, Jesus is going to break down all known social and religious barriers. Uh, And it's going to shock the disciples. It's going to shock this woman. If, if there had been Pharisees there, but there weren't because of the location, he's in Samaria, they don't go there. But if they had been there, they would have been incredibly shocked. It probably would have been enough ammunition to to get him taken care of. But he he breaks down the barriers. And he's going to have this chance encounter. You know, this was not a chance encounter. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. But it it has all the appearances, and I'm sure from the woman's perspective, it's a chance encounter. She's a little shocked by it, and you see that in the story. And you know, as I thought about this story, as I thought about the scene, here comes Jesus. The disciples go off to get some food. Uh, We know what drives their passion. They're off to get food, and Jesus goes to the well, and so he's tired, the passage tells us. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. You've probably heard sermons on this. The time of the day is pretty uh, important that she's coming at the heat of the day rather than the cool of the day. She's coming when there are no other women there. We're going to find out why. Uh, She doesn't want to be around other people. So it's Jesus and this woman, the only two people. Now, Thinking about the passage, this, this scenario is a, is a recipe for disaster. Male Jewish spiritual leader, woman who's had multiple husbands, obviously not the most moral person in the world, meeting alone at a well with nobody else around. It is a counseling no-no. No. If I did that, if I had a woman of that nature in my office by myself and nobody else is around, I'd have Doug Cecil and eight other pastors in my office going, Have you lost your mind? Don't do it. But Jesus did. Now, I'm not saying that that now gives me freedom to meet with any woman I want to in my office alone. But Jesus, as, as a real man, was able to pull this off. And yet, it was—it it could have been a recipe for disaster. And in the story, I think this woman sees him, and she's trying to figure out who this guy is because every other man she has met in her life used her and abused her and threw her away. She's had multiple husbands. Now, why? Because she divorced them? No, she's been dumped five times. Remember what we learned about their view of women? She's inferior she's nothing more than a biological machine that i can use to keep my lineage going she's been dumped 5 times by 5 different men here comes another guy what does he want but what happens in the story what happens three problems in the story that i see first of all she's a woman we've already established that that's a problem she's a samaritan gentile heathen half breed nothing no no better than a dog in the in the eyes of any jew so she's got two strikes against her, and she is a, she is a known sinner in her community. So she she has everything striking against her. Three strikes, you're out. In her culture, she is a nobody, with no value whatsoever, and she just happens to run into Jesus, who she thinks is just another another man, Jewish man, but. Man, I know what they think about me. They won't even talk to their own wives. He's certainly not going to talk to me. But it's really interesting. What are the first words out of Jesus' mouth? Look at verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. What's significant about that statement is Jesus was forbidden by law to talk to her. He's not supposed to be talking to her because she's a woman out in the middle of a public area. And what's the first thing he says? He he initiates the conversation. And he was also forbidden to drink from a vessel that this woman handed him. Why? Because she's unclean. She's unclean as a woman and she's unclean doubly because she's a Samaritan. And she's unclean triply because she's a sinner. Remember how the Pharisees would get so bent out of shape with Jesus that he would eat with sinners? How can you do that? How can you go in their home? How can you associate with these people? They're unclean. But Jesus, he's not even supposed to drink out of this vessel. What are the words out of his mouth? He initiates the conversation and he says, give me a drink from your vessel. And I think this woman got all of it. She's not stupid. She understands the culture. She understands what's going on, and she's in shock. And the passage shows it. Why are you talking to me? Jesus initiates this conversation with this woman. And he asks for a drink. And here's here's what I want to get out of this, guys. Jesus had a different perspective when it came to women. And while we may not have all the baggage they had when it comes to women, we may not think about women quite the way they did, and we have a little more elevated view of women. I'm telling you, guys, we do not value women the way Jesus did. I don't value women the way Jesus did. And so I want us to look at this. Jesus saw her from a spiritual perspective. And this is the most important thing. If you hear nothing else this morning, this should change the way you live your life. To begin to see women from a spiritual perspective. What does he do? He engages in a conversation. It starts out about water, but what's he getting to? What's his point? He's getting to a spiritual conversation. I want to know about this woman. I want to know about her heart. He saw her as a child of his father, a child of God. Do you look at women around you that way? There goes a child of God. There goes a child of God. There goes one of his children. There goes one of his children. I guarantee if we thought that way, we wouldn't lust near as much as we do. That's like lusting after your best friend's daughter. You just don't do that. But yet we lust after God's children. We think improper thoughts about them. No, Jesus looked at her and he saw her as a child of God. And unlike every other man that ever had encountered this woman, rather than seeing her as a solution to his needs, he wanted to meet her needs. See, we look at women and we think, hmm, how could she meet my needs? What would that be like? And we fantasize and we think improper thoughts. Jesus looked at her and he saw, man, I don't, this woman doesn't have one need I need met but I want to meet her need. And he knew every need in her heart and life, and we're not going to unpack that this morning. He was committed to her spiritual well-being. He was committed to her spiritual well-being. He cared about her deeply. So here's a question for you. What would happen if we viewed the women in our life with spiritual eyes? With spiritual eyes. What if we prayed for them rather than lust after them? This is something that has helped me in, in, in my struggle with my thought life. And if, if you see a woman and you're, you're immediately you're thinking, Ooh, man, that is one good-looking woman. And you know where your mind's going to go. But if you begin to pray for that woman, for her salvation, for God's blessing, for her husband, who she probably has, if you begin to pray for her and see her from a spiritual dimension, it's really hard to lust and pray at the same time. I'm telling you, it's really hard. You can do one or the other. But to begin to see women from a spiritual perspective, what if we cared more about their salvation than our own satisfaction? Is she saved? Does she have a relationship with God? If you see a woman walking down the street and she's dressed inappropriately and she's dressed in a way that maybe causes you to begin to think and fantasize, to look away and begin to think, I wonder if she knows Jesus. Does she have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Guys, I'm not recommending you walk up and begin to witness to her. Probably not a good idea. You're not Jesus. But you can at least pray for her. You have no clue what's going on in that woman's life. But to begin to pray for her, pray for her salvation. What if we chose to heal their wounds rather than add to them? Hurt them. Think badly about them. Say things to them that are hurting. And again, think about your wife. Think about your daughters. Think about how you can begin to build them up spiritually. It is so easy to find fault in those around us, especially our wives and our daughters, but to begin to build them up spiritually and think about them as spiritual beings. What if we fostered their purpose rather than pursue our own? What's God's purpose for that woman? What's God's purpose for my wife? What does God want to do in my wife's life? How can you come alongside your wife and say, Honey... Man, I want to help you be all God's made you to be. It's not about me, how you can serve me better. Kind of goes with our lesson last week, dying to ourself. What if we encourage them to seek God instead of seeking our own gratification? See, it's all about seeing them from a different perspective. Seeing them from a spiritual perspective as spiritual creatures, spiritual beings. You go all the way back to Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them and he blessed them. It's together that we image God, not just in marriage, but as we react and interact with one another. As we pray for the women in our lives, women we encounter, women we don't even know. When you're driving down the the street and you see a billboard that's got a picture on it, whether it's Hooters or something, and and man, your mind starts going crazy. That's a real person with a real life, with a real family, with real issues, probably has a husband, definitely has a father and mother, maybe siblings, but to begin to see her as a spiritual creature rather than an object for your satisfaction and begin to pray for her. When you see somebody on TV, an actress, a show that comes on, and you're tempted to want to think thoughts, first of all, maybe turn it off. And then maybe, Lord, that's one of your children. She's one of your daughters. What, what's her relationship with you? Father, bring someone into her life who might share the gospel with her. Well, secondly, Jesus saw her as having value. How do we know that? He offers her eternal life. What more value could he give her? He gives her the gift of eternal life. He says, man, I've got something that you're going to want. It's eternal life. It's water that will never go away. You'll never have to be thirsty again spiritually. He didn't devalue her based on her reputation. He didn't go, well, you've been married five times. i got nothing to share with you. You're, you're damaged goods. I'm done. He saw her as having value. And he offered the most valuable thing he had to give, eternal life. Again, guys... What about the women in your life? Your wife, your daughters, your friends, your friends' wives, girlfriends, the women in this church, the women you walk past on the street, the women you work with, do you value them? And are you willing to pour into their life the most valuable thing you have, which are spiritual things, which are the gospel? And again, I'm not recommending that you start pulling aside women you don't know and sharing the gospel. But at least care enough to change the way you think about them as Jesus did see he listened to her this woman had nobody listening to her that's why she went to the well at the time she did nobody was around nobody wanted to talk to this woman her husband didn't want to talk to her it was kind of negative to talk to a woman it was against the law really but Jesus listened to her he didn't condemn her he listened and he cared for her he cared for her Guys, we have got to do a better job on this. So what would happen if we saw every woman we met as having value and worth and not just based on what she can do to, for me or make me feel? You know, man, she is boy, she's good looking. I really like that. I really like looking at her. And then it goes further and it goes further. What if you began to see her value as, man, she could make a difference in the kingdom of God. If she knew Christ, she could make a difference in the life of her husband her children, her mom, her dad, her community. She wouldn't be on that billboard if she knew Christ. She wouldn't be dressing that way if she knew Christ. You began to see her as having value and worth. What if we saw their value not in what they can do for us, but in what Jesus did for them? See, we view women too often as what they can do for us. Our wives bring us pleasure, keep the house clean, take care of the kids, raise the kids, meet our needs physically. But what if it were more in what Jesus died to give them? Different kind of value. What if we made the women in our lives more valuable than our own comfort and satisfaction? Again, last week's lesson. Die to yourself. Start putting others first. What if we cared more about their hearts than their bodies? When's the last time you asked your wife, how are you doing spiritually? But you may look at your wife and go, man, you may not say it out loud, but you put on a few pounds. I suggest you never say that out loud. Um, but when's the last time you walked up to your wife and you said, Honey, how, how are you and the Lord doing? How's your quiet time? What can I do to help? See, that's a dangerous question to ask your wife, because she may say, Would you lead me? And then you go, well, I don't know about that. You know, i have enough struggle of my own. Your wife is not looking for a spiritual expert. She's looking for a spiritual leader, somebody to take the next step with her. When's the last time you showed concern about her spiritual well-being? Well, third, Jesus saw her as a difference maker. I had never seen this in this passage before, but I think it's pretty significant. Jesus knew she was going to bear fruit. He knew as soon as he told her about the gospel, it was going to so radically change her life that she was going to go tell other people. And she did. She told her entire village. If you look at verse 28... She just, as soon as her life was changed, the woman left her water pot, went into the city. And what does it say? Who did she go to? Who did she go to? Her girlfriends? She went to the men. Isn't that amazing? A woman who was an outcast, a woman who wasn't even supposed to talk to men. Who did she go and tell? She told the men. Because she was so excited about what she had heard. And as a result, many came to believe in verse 39 because of her story. Many came to Christ. Jesus knew this was going to happen. Jesus knew that she was going to be a difference maker and that she had a vision for the lost that the disciples didn't even have. How do I know that? Right smack dab in the middle of this story, you see an exchange between Jesus and the disciples. The disciples come back and they're, you know, hey Jesus, we got some food. And he goes, I don't need any food. Well, where did he get food from? He goes, hey, the food I need, you don't have. And then he starts talking about My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then he says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. And he starts pointing around. Remember, he's sitting by this well. There's fields all around him. He goes, Guys, there are hungry people everywhere. And there is some reaping to be done. There's some harvesting to be done. And I think the disciples are going, Here we go again. Does anybody know what he's talking about? Anybody get it? But verse 39 says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. She was out harvesting. And the disciples are sitting there going, well, I don't know what he's talking about. Let's eat lunch. They didn't get it. She was a difference maker. Here's a question. What would happen if you began to view the women in your life as fruit bearers, not just child bearers? Baby machines. Uh, sexual objects. What difference would it make? What if you saw them as sinners in need of a Savior? Again, when you see somebody, see them as a sinner in need of a Savior. You see your daughters and you, you struggle with the way they dress. And, honey, why are you wearing that? And sometimes we don't say anything. We just let them go out the door. But what if you began to say, honey, I really care about your heart. And you began to talk to them about their heart instead of saying, you are not walking out the door with that on. And at that point, it just becomes a fight. They don't even understand Why? But if you were to express, I care about you, I care about your heart, I care about your spirit, and pour into their lives. What if you saw them as potential soul winners instead of sex partners? See, isn't that what we do, guys, when we lust after a woman? She's a potential sex partner. And that's where we go with it. But what if we saw them as, man, if that woman knew Christ, she could make a difference in the world. You know, some actress that we watch on TV who's making no difference whatsoever for eternity, but if she came to Christ, what kind of difference would she make? It's a different way of viewing them. What if you saw that they had to what they had to give to others spiritually instead of what they could give you physically? See, Jesus had a different perspective. His purpose was her well-being, her goodness, and her fruitfulness. That's what Jesus was obsessed about with this woman. A man treats a woman with respect. That's kind of a no-brainer. But yet, do we really? We're to care for them. Not just the one you're married to. Not the, the one you help birth. But the one you work with. The one you live next door to. The wife of your best friend. The women you don't even know in this church who you walk past every single Sunday. That you would care for them. You offer her dignity and gentleness. He gives when the world says take. And guys, again, when we lust after a woman, when we look at her with wrong motives, we are taking. And we're taking something of value away from her. Whether we physically touch her, we are taking something that doesn't belong to us and that belongs to some other man. We take. A real man nurtures, encourages... Honors and leads. Well, would you bow with me? And we're just going to close in a, a little, just a short time of prayer. Here's what I want you to do, guys. Right now, think about the women in your life. I want you to picture them. If you're married, picture your wife. If you're divorced, picture your ex wife. If you've got daughters, picture them. If you've got, every one of you have a, has a mom. If she's alive, picture her. You've got sisters, picture them. Female co-workers, maybe a female boss, picture her. Picture the women in your life. Now ask God to give you a heart for them like Jesus had. Ask him to help you see them with spiritual eyes. You cannot do this without his help. Ask him to help you see their value as he sees their value. Now ask him to help you see them as potential difference makers for the kingdom of God. Well, Father, we come to you this morning as men and, and we struggle with this. Um, our relationship with women is so skewed, Father because of the fall and you know it better than we do we struggle in our relationship with women we struggle with our relationships with our wives it, it can become a battleground even in our own home with someone who we profess to love but we just seem to be at odds sometimes and we don't see things the same way and and sometimes we look at our wives and we only see them as objects and somebody to do something for me and and we don't look at them as spiritual beings and who have hurts and needs just like the woman at the well. Father, open our eyes. Help me to see the women in my life from a totally new perspective through the eyes of Jesus. Father, we battle with our flesh constantly and oftentimes lose, but we do not have to lose. I pray, Father, that you would raise up in this room men who would begin to view women as Jesus did, with dignity, with respect, with honor, putting them back up on the pedestal where they belong, because it's together that we bear your image, not alone. And when we look at them wrongly, when we think about them improperly, when we treat them insignificantly, we are marring the image of God as your men. Give us strength. Help us to stand up. Help us to encourage one another to do this every day and even ask how we're doing. Help us to care about each other's wives in a proper way. Help us to care about each other's daughters in a proper way. Father, we ask that you would raise up a generation of young women who will be difference makers for the kingdom. They're in this church right now, and many of them are in our homes. Help us... To see their value and their worth. And to help them be all that you've called them to be. Lord, we give you this morning. We give you this day. Thank you for these men. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your son, as the consummate, ultimate man. Who we can pattern our lives after. And thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit who makes it possible. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son and our savior. Amen.